Welcome to Invited In, a podcast connecting the global family of Samaritan's Purse. I'm Christy Graham, and I'm at Prescription for Renewal, and I got a chance to sit down with Karen Daniels, who's a longtime nurse, and I just want you to hear her heart and hear her stories. So, Karen, thank you for joining me today. And I've heard so much about you, so I can't wait to hear it from your mouth. But I would love to know, you've been with Samaritan's Purse for over 20 years, is that correct? Not quite. 17 years this month is the anniversary, 2002, September 2002. Okay, so tell me, how did you get involved with Samaritan's Purse? Yeah, so interestingly enough, I really had felt, I grew up in a Christian home, um, and so that was really a part of my journey. My parents were both medical professionals, and uh, I always kind of felt the call to service. And Mm -hmm. I was really raised with that, you know, that you give back, God's called you to be just more, give more of yourself than just your own happiness and mm-hmm. kind of fulfillment. So this is my heart. And so I kind of looked at pursuing it in my own angle. I did a stint with Mercy Ships and kind of walked away from it thinking that's not really what I had in mind and kind of laid it down for some time and kind of got close to my 30th birthday. It was kind of looming. And I thought, man, what have I done with my life? I need to, to make it count. And I'm kind of, I had a great job and I was working in oncology, but just wasn't quite that fulfilling. And so I thought, well, you know, I'm a nurse. I'm sure they'll need me on the mission field. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And uh, really didn't have any concept of preparing myself other than just having that attitude towards God, like, here I am, I'm ready to serve, and I want to go and do these things. And I remember thinking, it shouldn't be this hard. I started knocking on doors, trying to get involved with mission organizations, and nobody really wanted me, and I couldn't figure out why, and Mm -hmm. got really close with a couple organizations, and then just at the last minute, things fell apart. So I kind of just thought, man, this isn't going to work out. I was saving my own money so I could self-finance, you know, to go overseas. And one of my good friends, my childhood friends, was working for Samaritan's Purse. Um, and Joel Kaiser, if you ever met, remember the Kaiser brothers, a little bit legendary in SB Canada circles. He said, why don't you go work for Samaritan's Purse? They pay you to do this. And I was like, what do you mean they pay you? Like, this is crazy. So he said, yeah. So I got connected to Samaritan's Purse Canada. And then they in turn referred me to Samaritan's Purse U.S. headquarters. And Becky Williams interviewed me. Mm and said, we've got a spot in Louis, Sudan. I kind of quickly went and looked up where Sudan was because I didn't really know. And all I knew was there's a civil war that was going on there and that there had been a field hospital there. And so mm-hmm. I said, okay, I can do that. Having no concept of what I was getting myself into. And it was probably good, you know. I, mm-hmm. I often look back and think about it now that I would have never hired me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's really where you see, I think, God's hand in things because I... Um, yeah, I wasn't prepared really. I didn't have the educational background. I didn't have a tropical medicine background. All I had was that I was willing. And uh, so I packed my bags, took a leave of absence from my job, was gonna go for six months, and flew in my very first trip to mm-hmm. Africa to the field with Kenny Isaacs, mm-hmm. who I had no concept of who he was and all these VIPs. So I was get there just greener than green, and they leave me there. And Kenny told me later, he said, I didn't think you were gonna make it. <laughs> I was like, I didn't think I was going to make it either. <laughs> and second day on the job, we were bombed. Yeah. And I was like, I have made the biggest mistake of my life. Like, mm. But I can't get out of here. I'm stuck. Mm-hmm. And the way I was raised was such that I, I was basically like, you don't ever quit anything. Mm. So in my head, I was like, I, will, I can do anything for six months. And mm-hmm. and about my third month in, I just started thinking, man, I kind of like this. Mm. And uh, they asked me to extend. And I did a nine-month stint. And went home and I was home for about two days and they called me and said, we want you to resign. You have 24 hours to make a decision. And uh, I remember thinking, I have a lot of security at home. I had nine years of seniority in my job and I was scared, but I just said, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I made the call and uh, it was the best decision I ever made. And that was 17 years ago. So that was the beginning. Wow. That's a really long <laughs> winded story. I'm sorry. No. And but, where did you go from there? When so, yeah. So I went and did another uh, year in Louis. And by mm -hmm. then the peace agreement had been signed and the war was basically now over. We weren't having the conflict. We weren't having the trauma. And then I met Dr. Ed Carnes. Um, who was also legendary in SP circles, and he recruited me to come work with him in East Sudan and start a hospital for women and children specifically in a very, very uh, remote community with Abuja people. And did that for almost a year, and that was one of the most fascinating experiences of my life. Um, nothing can compare to it, and uh, it was just, I've never seen anything like it in my life. Women lived behind a walled city, and they were 100% FGM um, rates, 100% illiteracy rates for women, and they were not allowed to leave their walled village. And they were treated worse than dogs. And so we set up a mm. hospital uh, that catered to them solely, and uh, were there pretty much as long as we could be until the Northern forces got word that they were, we were in there. We had come at the invitation of the SPLA at that point who were held that area because of the war and as the peace agreement had been signed and, and peace was coming to the country, then the Northern government was trying to take back that region, which was contested at the time. So then eventually we were asked to leave. So, but a fascinating, fascinating experience. And then went back to South Sudan um, and worked on and off for almost nine years um, in mostly in hospital management settings, nurse management, health manager positions, yeah. Mm -hmm. And then from there, that evolved my program in, um, involvement with the cleft lip palette. And we mm -hmm. started the program there. Melissa helped me cover the very first one. And uh, then the director asked me after I came back to Canada, um, I was evacuated for the third and final time <laughs> I decided in 2013, came home and took some time off and then started to work full time for the cleft program and then 2017 the cataract portion was added as well. Mm -hmm. Can you explain that program now that you're bringing it up? Sure. What, what is it that you do currently and what is your program? Yeah, so I'm the program director, or sorry, program manager um, for cleft lip and palate and cataract programming and the cleft program began in 2011 in South Sudan and at that point it was just a surgical program that we ran alongside of our other health programs um, and it slowly but surely kind of was fairly successful, much to our shock. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and so then they decided to take it into some other countries. Mm -hmm. And so uh, basically we run several cleft teams. We've been active in five different countries. Uh, majority of our programming is in uh, Myanmar, South Sudan, Liberia, and we're gonna extend another program into Guatemala. And we've also done work in Bolivia. And we run teams, um, usually two to three teams a year sometimes four um, of cleft lip and palate teams with all volunteer base. Um, and some of our team members have been with us since the very beginning in 2011. So we have a really dedicated group of people that have almost become like a little family. And mm -hmm. uh, we've impacted over 850 kids in seven, eight years of programming, I guess. And then in 2017, they added the cataract portion to our portfolio and uh, that was, that was really interesting. I, if you'd ever told me I was gonna do eye surgery, I would have never believed you because mm -hmm. I, when I trained in the operating room, I absolutely hated eye work. Mm. And I remember thinking, God, what were you thinking to give me this assignment? I really don't like eyes. 
And it was like he, he kind of said, hey, I've entrusted you with this. And, you know, in SP, you don't always get to say no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so we took it on. And our very first assignment was fascinating. I also moonlight with the disaster response team when I can. And so in 2014, I served for almost six weeks in Liberia in mm-hmm. the Ebola response. And I was up in FOIA along the border helping run the Samaritan's Ebola treatment unit up there. And so I had a lot of engagement with the Liberia team at that time and then was evacuated out on the team that after Kent was evacuated, we were uh, um, evacuated out. And Melissa was very much a part of that along the way as well. And um, really had a burden for Liberia, but really didn't understand how we'd ever be able to program there because of all the sort of the stigma that was still involved with uh, Liberia post Ebola response and didn't really know how that would fit in with the cleft programming. And God gave us opportunity to go back in and start a cleft program there in 2016. And then in 20, early 2017, we decided we would pick Liberia as our first country to roll out the program because they had a really strong country office and a great hospital at Elwa, the new hospital facility. And so we approached the, the hospital director, uh, Dr. John Fankhauser, and said, Dr. John, would you you know, want to have a cataract team? And he said, oh, we would love that. He said, and I've got the best like group of patients for you. And I was like, okay, well, like who? And he said, well, they're all Ebola survivors. And so it was, it was a really complex program and the fact that the National Institute of Health was involved, Johns Hopkins, Emory, University of Minnesota, all these power players, um, and we were in way of our heads, mm-hmm. um, but they needed surgeons that could do what they call manual small insurgent surgery. And we happen to know the surgeons that could do it. Um, and American surgeons are not trained in that. They do what's called a FACO emulsification surgery, but because of the nature of the study and the fact they had to preserve the lens, we needed these surgeons and we had them. We, we knew them because of our contacts through World Medical Mission. And so we had a part to play. And, and that's how we started. And it was really redeeming for me because it, it um, took an experience that was very memorable and traumatic and brought it full circle. Hmm. And I got to go back and work with survivors. Um, And I remember standing at the door one day, taking a woman in for surgery, and she pointed to the kitchen and the laundry where that had been the Ebola treatment unit. And she said, you see that over there? She said, I was a patient in that unit, and look at me now. And uh, and it was really a beautiful thing. So that was really uh, a great place to roll it out, even Mm -hmm. though it was really challenging. And you know, honestly, I think about it. God sort of tasked us with some of the hardest spots in the world, it feels like, to start our programming. So South Sudan is very challenging, and that's where we started our cleft program. Um, Our cataract program was birthed out of a very challenging situation that nobody else wanted to take those patients on. They were really afraid to. Hmm. And um, because of the stigma, because of the fact there were a lot of unknowns with the fact that they potentially could still have some Ebola virus disease in their eye, And that was what the one we cut our teeth on. And so after that, everything else has been kind of, you know, Mm. not easy, but it sure made it, uh, 
not as complex as those really hard ones to start with. And I'm grateful. I'd rather get the hard things out of the way first before, <laughs> and then move on and get mm -hmm. things a little bit easier. So since then, um, we've taken on another colleague, Bethany Densham, uh, came, joined us in uh, July of 2018 last year, along with our program director, Beth Thompson. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, so we're a three-woman team, all nurse team, which is kind of unusual, working with surgeons, um, but they're great and we have a lot of fun together. And, and in our cataract program, we've done over 700 cataract surgeries in two years. So, and we program in three countries at this point. So it's been fun. Wow, what is that like coming full circle? Like the last time you worked with those Ebola patients, you were suited up, Yeah. you know, and now you're helping them with something totally different. Yeah. What is that like? It was, it was really redemptive for mm -hmm. me because when um, I left Liberia, it was very traumatic. Mm -hmm. It was in the thick of the crisis. It was probably um, the threshold for the highest uh, death rate. Mm -hmm. uh, the country was in absolute chaos. And uh, I left thinking I didn't know what to think. I didn't think I'd ever be back. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I didn't really want my memories of Ebola to be that, but that's really what they were. And um, so being able to go back to Liberia multiple times now, either in our cleft programming or our cataract programming, and seeing beauty from ashes is, mm -hmm. is a powerful thing. And God's, God's been very faithful in that. And a lot of the experiences I've had in the 17 years and most of the places I've worked um, have been conflict areas. And some really traumatic things have happened, and yet he's given me opportunity to return and revisit some of those places, which such terrible things happen to my patients mm -hmm. or myself or on that ground, and see it change and bring redemption. And it's been really, uh, I'm just so grateful for that because not a lot of people get to have that experience, and he really has allowed that to happen for me. So. Mm -hmm. You are so fascinating, but for many reasons, but you've, you said you worked with a DART team, disaster response team. You've worked long time, long term, you know, in the South Sudan, but now you're with a surgical team. So you've seen so many different aspects and components. How can you, how are they different and how are they the same? I guess. It's fun to see because I've seen how far SP has come mm -hmm. and particularly in medical and surgical care. Um, and there are so many different aspects. There's sort of a development arm that we do in mm -hmm. health um, that's long-term programming, and I've had a foot in that. I've, um, I've worked in sort of the early years of DART back in Haiti, really. Mm -hmm. And we always used to laugh and say every day in South Sudan, and Sudan was a disaster, and so mm -hmm. that really prepares you for the disaster response mm -hmm. team. Mm -hmm. I start, took care of a lot of war trauma there, too, and that set the scene for us in, in working in Iraq and things like that. And so I think the ultimate foundation, though, even though we're very different, is that Jesus has been the mainstay mm -hmm. and the focus of that. And um, I often tell people when I talk to them or when we recruit that, you know, a lot of people can just do really good medical work or surgical work. Um, and that's a great thing. But if you ultimately don't give people the hope of Jesus, then mm -hmm. really what have you done? Mm -hmm. And so um, I think that's really what I look at the history and, and you know, you, we could have opportunity to go and work for other organizations, but the fact that we do get to share the gospel, um, that's what's kept me there. That's really it. And, and that's a powerful thing. And I think we've taken, you know, in some places, 
places that we should not be allowed to program, for instance, mm -hmm. in Myanmar, mm -hmm. um, in East Sudan, where as Christians, we really were not welcome. Mm -hmm. God gave us opportunity, divine appointments, in, in fact. And, and maybe I'm a little biased, but I think we did really good work and we were valued and people knew uh, mm -hmm. the difference. And, um, and they'll often say that to us. It's like, you mm -hmm. loved us. Mm -hmm. And that was really what the message of the cross is. And, and the beauty of medical care is that you can use that as such a great catalyst to show the love mm -hmm. of Christ. And I think we still do that really well. Mm -hmm. You mentioned you grew up in a Christian home. Yeah. How has your faith changed, though, and deepened by doing this work? Uh, yeah, I think it's interesting. You know, when you're growing up in a Christian home, it's just really easy to kind of believe what everyone tells you because you grew up in the church. And, and until you really have an encounter with Jesus yourself, mm -hmm. I think that's what deepens your faith. Certainly, when there are Antonovs overhead, <laughs> preparing to bomb you. You get right with Jesus fast. Mm -hmm. And uh, I mean, I, I feel like God in, in my nursing school, I really had my faith solidified. I think um, I realized my dependency of God on God and that I really needed him. But yeah, being in the field setting, it, it rocks your faith as well because mm -hmm. you're faced with ethical things that you've never encountered before in your life um, that you really have to work through. And I've seen a lot of my, my colleagues and my fellow field workers actually leave their faith because mm -hmm. they wrestled with it and couldn't, you know, make, make right, you know, set their mind right by it. Mm -hmm. um, but it is when you, um, yeah, when, like I said, when uh, you're, laying down on the floor because, you know, there's firefights going on over top of you or antitrops are coming back. You, you really want to know where, what tomorrow holds and where you're going to be if the very worst thing happens. Mm -hmm. And I think that you really have to rely on Jesus. You also have to rely on Jesus. I've seen it time and time again. And like I said, Dr. Ed Carnes um, has taught me, he's one of my mentors and, and he's just someone that's just taught me so much. And he, he always used to say to me, he's like, don't you think for a moment that this is your program, this is God's program? Mm. And, uh, and I've seen that because when I've tried to make it my program, God has, I feel like in some ways, taken that control away from me and caused things to happen that I have to completely depend on him mm -hmm. for it. Mm -hmm. and, um, and he shows up time and time again. He's never failed me in, mm. in that programming, so. Mm. Speaking about that um, and having a posture of surrender and obedience, how do you do that um, after going into dangerous places and hard deployments? How do you keep your faith or keep your relationship with the Lord um, strong? How do you nurture yourself and kind of feed yourself yeah. spiritually? I think it's hard. I think it's a challenge. You know, it would, I'd be lying if I wouldn't say that sometimes it's really a struggle, especially when you're encountering things that um, nothing prepares you for and you really wonder. Uh, I remember talking with Bev Caulfield in the midst of the Ebola crisis and just seeing, I mean, I'd seen some pretty bad stuff, uh, but that, that rocked me. And, and Bev and I talking about walking through the halls of the suspect and the confirmed units and just seeing tragedy and saying, Jesus, where are you? Mm -hmm. Where are you in these moments? And really wrestling with that and realizing it's okay to have that. You know, mm -hmm. it's a really, really okay to be like, God, where are you? Um, and, and realizing there are times when it, it does feel very, he does feel very far and yet to hang on through them and, and to keep in there because he does show up. And Bev often will say to me later, you know, in that moment, she had an encounter where she said, God, where are you? And he's like, I'm here with you. Mm -hmm. And you just couldn't feel it. And the darkness was so heavy. Mm -hmm. Melissa will remember that. Like, 
was just so oppressive that it just felt so dark. And yet the beauty of having grown up in the faith is mm-hmm. seeing God show up again and again. You can trust in the faithfulness of God, even in that time where you're like, man, I don't know where he is, but in my life so far, I've known that he does show up. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's, he's never failed me in the past. He won't fail me now. And uh, I think just resting in that. I think you also get it from your colleagues. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're having a hard time, someone else will come along, whether it was a visitor or if it was someone on our teams. And that kind of pulls you along and, and helps you out or speaks into your life. And I think that's the beauty of working in team, um, mm-hmm. that God provides those people along mm-hmm. the way. Is there a particular scripture or passage that you cling to? Or did would God bring something different every day? Yeah, I think, I mean, I have different ones for different seasons. Mm-hmm. I remember um, uh, one of the other bombings we went through. It was really a terrible situation. A lot of people were killed not far from us. And uh, historically, they didn't have good GPS tracking. So how they would bomb initially was that they would line up with the road and they would look for the, the, the tin roofs of the hospital or the church. And that's how they would bomb. And I remember they had bombed us very badly. Uh, gosh, on a Saturday. Mm-hmm. And it was just this horrific day and uh, we were taking care of the wounded and not, not too many people survived, but we did have some come to the hospital and, and we had to make plans for evacuation. And I remember waking up that Sunday morning and I was scared. I was really scared. I'd only been there a couple of weeks and I remember going, <laughs> I was supposed to go to church and I didn't want to go to church because I thought, man, they're going to come back and they know the church and they bombed mm-hmm. the church in the past. So I went to my little hut and I just pulled up my Bible concordance. For some reason I had it. And I looked up every single verse I could find on fear. Mm-hmm. And I was like, and the verse basically that really hit me was in Psalm 27. It's the Lord is the uh, uh, my light and my salvation, whom mm-hmm. shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid when evil men rose up against me? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and ultimately goes on to say the Lord was my confidence. And it talks about in the day of refuge, he will keep me safe in, I think, his rock or something. And the, the cool thing was about in Louis, where we were, we would hide and run in the rocks and the caves and the rocks. And it was like that mm-hmm. verse was specific to me. And, you know, that really helped me through um, those war-torn years mm-hmm. and uh, just that clinging to the faithful goodness of God, you know? And then there's been other ones for different seasons. I think uh, one of the ones that I, I, I laugh about, I had to write down the text for it because I can never remember it. But, um, you know, uh, there's many moments in humanitarian aid or surgical programming where uh, you go, I don't know what to do. <laughs> like, I really don't know what to do, you know? I remember one day my, the generator blew up on our second day of our mission. We were completely generator dependent. And it wasn't just like we could just get in a little spare generator. The whole operating room was wired to the one generator and it caught mm-hmm. on fire. And I remember just thinking, we're done. I've got all these kids coming in and I have no way. And uh, remembering that verse, you know, and it's, um, I wrote it down and it says, um, I think it's in Second Chronicles 2012 and it says, it's Moses talking to God and he's like, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Hmm. And uh, I just, that's time and time and again when I've had that where I was mm-hmm. like, God, I don't know what to do, but I'm going to keep my eyes on you because I trust that you're not going to fail. And you know, it takes me a long time to learn that lesson. Every single mission I deploy on, I have to remind myself of that first, mm-hmm. you know, because something disastrous will happen and I'm like, this mm-hmm. is a total wreck and it's not going to work out. Mm-hmm. And what I do, I fix my eyes on Jesus. Um, yeah. It's, he always comes through. And then the other thing that I think too, I was just thinking about it, that 
Um, there's another one in Exodus, and it talks about Moses going into the promised land, and he just says, God, if, if your, your presence doesn't go with us, don't take us from this mm. place. And uh, I found that to be true. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't want the presence of Jesus not to accompany what we do. Mm -hmm. And because I've, I've done things in my own strength, and it, it doesn't work, and it fails, and I think that's really those kind of me a lot the last couple of years in saying that, you know, that's what really we want. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Hmm. Those are good, good scriptures. Um, can you share a story of a time where you did fail, but God showed up, you know, or you, you had a, you were running low on a supply or didn't have what you needed and God supplied? Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, there's just so many <laughs> stories over the years. Um, I can think of sort of two specifically recently. We had a mission um, that was in Liberia about two years ago. And historically, we always ship uh, all of our shipment ahead of time. So it's there on the ground and we have it. So we get there. We're not stuck without anything. Well, for whatever reason, there was just every kind of disaster that could happen with that shipment. It got lost. The dangerous goods shipments um, got got lost, the, the bookings, so they held it in Atlanta longer than they should have, and then they didn't have a color copy of the dangerous goods, like, release form. They only had a black and white copy, so that got delayed. So it was just disaster after disaster. And we ended up getting, the team got on the ground before the shipment had gotten there. And I remember thinking, what are, what are we going to do? I've got all these kids coming in by air from the remote areas of counties of, of, of Liberia. and we don't have anything to work with. And we're, none, none of the mission hospitals had what we needed because we do plastic surgeries, a specific uh, equipment list and consumables list. And miraculously enough, not everything had made the shipment and the surgeons were hand carrying instruments. They were hand carrying a syringe pump for anesthesia. They were hand carrying exactly what we needed. So we got on the ground and we just pitched together and we put together a surgical set mm. Miraculously, we found anesthetic gas in the country that could fit the machine. They never have that gas in the country, and they had it. And again, God just came through, and we were able to start our cases. And there, our full shipment never came to the till the Thursday. And on Friday, we went home. Hmm. So we were able to get a full contingent of patients done on this little bit of equipment. You know, it was like the widow's like oil and, mm -hmm. you know, flour. And I've seen that in April we had, um, historically we used the DC-3 airplane to move all of our patients. It loads 30 patients at a time. South Sudan has got our biggest contingent of patients and all of them come by air. There's no road infrastructure. And so everyone was going to come by air. Two weeks before we were supposed to start the mission, they walked into my director's office and said, we're pulling the DC-3 to go to Mozambique response. And I was like, really, God? Really, you have to send, like, you know, a hurricane or whatever it was that hit Moz, like, two weeks before my mission that I do once a year? Mm -hmm. And we were like, what are we going to do? They're, that's our plane. Mm -hmm. And they're pulling it. And we kind of were, like, in panic mode. And uh, all of a sudden, I just was, like, again, reminded, like, God, you haven't mm -hmm. failed me. You're not going to fail me now. And our aviation department came up with this alternate plan, and they used four little caravan aircraft that carry nine people to move 206 people. And we, it was amazing. Again, like there was no way we should have been able to figure out how to do that. And we mm -hmm. pulled in AMER. We pulled in Mission Aviation Fellowship. We had mm -hmm. our own mass little caravans. And those pilots um, 
pulled it off and it was amazing and not one person was missed. And so I just, I look at that and see, man, it's like God sees and knows and he takes me like to that edge of mm-hmm. panic and mm-hmm. what are you going to do? And, and, and he just shows up and uh, it's exciting. It's a great testimony to our teams as well. They kind of know to expect some kind of pending disaster and then, and we see some kind of big miracles. So. Mm-hmm. And how has, yeah, living like that, almost fearing death, um, how has that changed your faith and allowed you to be stronger? Well, it's given me high blood pressure, <laughs> but my faith is probably stronger. Um, I think it's just, again, that solidifying that, you know what, it's not about me, mm-hmm. you know, and I can be the best nurse in the world and I can try to have everything in order and everything aligned. Um, but again, it is God's program. And, mm-hmm. and I think, you know, allowing that to shape other parts of my life too and, and for the future and you know, things that come into play and uh, that we have to deal with. Again, just taking those principles that I've seen in my professional life and applying them to my personal life. And I think that deepens it. Um, You know, I've had some of the most amazing friendships and relationships in my life uh, created through the work I've done in the humanitarian, both with uh, nationals and and, um, Westerners. And Mm -hmm. And that's a powerful thing, too. And I, I'm grateful every day for, yeah, what God called me to. Even though probably in my own mind, it was sort of more this, I'm going to have an adventure. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm turning 30 and I need to do something with my life. God took that sort of selfish perspective that I had and, mm-hmm. and used it for his kid. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. And you talked about the, the partnership, you know, the working with other, other mission agencies. I mean, it just, that is the body of Christ. Yeah. Um, and you work with churches and, and people, and you talked about the nationals and just the body of Christ. You get to see yeah. the hands and feet. And so I love you sharing your heart, but how can we pray um, that, you know, the audience, I wanted them to hear your heart and hear our staff, but how can we pray since you have been there yeah. on the ground? How can we pray for your team and then the bigger body of Christ? Yeah. I think, you know, we've just been so blessed with the kind of teams that we have. Um, they really are like a family. And I, and I, my hope is that we can continue to, continue to keep that, that we keep Jesus at the forefront, um, that as we grow and expand, he'd give us new opportunity. Um, we're always looking for new countries to invest in. Uh, where can we be the most effective with the sort of specific call we have to the much more marginalized areas? and the places maybe nobody else wants to program in, um, and how that we have unity um, and that God would bring in the teammates that we need. And, and that, again, we'd continue to keep Jesus first. Sometimes it's easy to get distracted in the programmatic side of thing, the operations side, mm-hmm. and lose focus of the fact that ultimately surgery is the ultimate means for us to carry the gospel. And I think that's, yeah, that we wouldn't get in the way of what God wants to do, I think, is what our prayer would be. And that he would, yeah, he would give us wisdom as we continue to expand and, and mm. bring the hope of Christ to those that need it the most. Mm. That's good. Thank you so much for You're sharing welcome. your heart and your stories. 
Thanks so much for tuning in. I hope you were as challenged and inspired by Karen Daniels' testimony as I was. I've enjoyed my time here at Prescription for Renewal, just talking to so many of our medical missionaries that are being sent all over the world. And Karen is one of those who is God's faithfulness is shining through her. So thanks so much, Karen, for joining me today. Thanks for tuning in and have a blessed week.